0: We're hurting and despairing, wrestling with life in a culture opposed to Jesus. Storm clouds are mounting on the horizon as marginalization increases. We need hope, reminders of what is true, instructions for how to persevere. We must remain resilient. morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Good. Um, have you ever considered the thought of what it looks to be a martyr? Now, I'm not talking about um, people complaining about suffering, uh, about the little things. I'm talking about the big picture. I'm talking about people who believe so strongly in their faith, they're willing to lose something. They're willing to risk something. You know, um, historically, when we look at martyrs, we think of people burned at the stake for their faith in their religion, in the beliefs that they hold. But nowadays, we don't see that very often. We don't see that kind of extreme faith and someone willing to put um, action to their words. You know, many times we choose to cave to what the world says instead of to be brave, to stand up, and to do what God is calling us to do. Now, um, in our day, in our circumstances, what does it mean to be resilient? What does it mean um, to stand up for what we know is to be right and be true? And we saw on that list uh, a whole long list that you wrote, and that was encouraging to me, to hear from you what you're thinking, the th- to hear from you the things that you're struggling with and dealing with, and, um, and this morning, we're going to look at an example of a true story in Daniel about three men who went through something that maybe they weren't totally planned for, but when they had the opportunity, they chose to follow God's way, God's ways rather than man's ways. You see, we're gonna look through um, the book of Daniel chapter three. So um, if you have your Bibles with me, uh, with you, please open to, to Daniel chapter three, and uh, we're gonna look at that. Now, um, how many of you are familiar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Rex, Shek, and Bendy, if you know veggie Tales, Just raise your hand. Yeah? How many of you don't know that story? Raise your hand. doesn't sound familiar. Good. That's great. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to introduce you um, to these characters. So in chapter 2 uh, of Daniel, Josh taught to us about the statue and dream and all those things. And it's the same king, same King Nebuchadnezzar, but instead of Daniel, we're gonna look at his three friends and their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he had built um, this huge statue. And uh, remember from chapter two, Daniel had interpreted a dream of the king and that dream included this giant statue and it had a golden head, and then the rest of the body was made of different elements, and that's because they represented different kingdoms. And Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, was the golden, and the rest were other kingdoms that followed after it. Well, uh, the context of chapter three comes 18 years after that dream. So I can imagine the king thinking, oh, okay, there's a statue of my kingdom and of my God, and I'm gonna build this thing, but I'm gonna make the whole thing gold. And what had happened, is he had just come back from Jerusalem again, because remember, he conquered Jerusalem, and that's why David or Daniel and his friends were there in the first time. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar took all those Israelites from Jerusalem. Well, he went back again to Jerusalem and took more people, and I'm sure probably more gold. So he probably was melting it down, thinking, what do I do with all this gold? You know, And let's uh, make this giant statue. And we read in verse uh, one of chapter three that King Nebuchadnezzar's pride is what um, caused him to build this statue. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high and nine feet wide. It's probably because it was up on this pedestal and then the statue was here because if you had a statue that was only nine feet wide and 90 feet tall, it'd probably fall over. So it probably had the big pedestal but it said it's set up on the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. That means he wanted it displayed. He wanted it obvious and for everyone to see. And what he does is he makes this proclamation, and he says, I want all my officials, all the people in government that are ruling my nation to come and gather, and I want them to come for this dedication. And he does that. He makes this announcement, and he sends it out to to the far reaches of his kingdom. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they show up because they're slaves. They have to obey their boss. They work for him, even though they follow Yahweh. You see, they are one of the few youths that were trained like Daniel in the language and the culture, and they're the ones that got promoted when Daniel uh, interpreted the king's dream. So they are important men, but they follow God, the true God. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he knew that this was gonna be a great opportunity. He was like, oh man, I'm gonna get all my people together in one place, we're gonna have this party, we're gonna play music, and they're all gonna bow down and worship the same God. Because in Babylon, you could have a lot of different gods. You could worship your God and I worship my God, but you have to worship the king's God, the government's God. And if you didn't do that, oh man, that's treason. That's rebellion. And you're gonna get in big trouble if you don't bow down and worship that God. And we know that by looking at verses, uh, verse six of chapter three. It says, um, but whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Now, hmm, where did this blazing furnace come from? Well, if you're gonna melt all this gold that you had um, acquired, and maybe bricks and things to build this giant statue, you're probably gonna have a furnace nearby. So it's really convenient. I like to be efficient when I'm building. And if you come over to my house later, you'll see we built a little, a little shack. Um, so we like to have our tools and things nearby when we're building things. So the king was smart, and he had this uh, furnace that he multi-purposed to uh, build things and also to kill people. Because if you don't obey, you're going in the fire. So What happens is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're summoned, and they know something's gonna happen. They're smart guys. So as they're traveling, whether together or separately, I'm sure they're dialoguing with God and thinking, oh God, (laughs) I'm going into work today. It's a big day, big business retreat, and uh, something is gonna happen, and uh, I'll probably have to make a decision. And they maybe not know exactly what's going to happen, what the consequence is if they don't bow down um, as they're traveling, but they're smart guys, just like you and me, right? They know that the world is asking them to do something that might go against what God is asking them to do. So they show up and... uh, there's a whole multitude of people. All you know, Everybody's got name tags, so you know where you're from and know uh, what your role is, and maybe they're socializing and having a snack. And this proclamation comes out. You know, The big speaker says, okay, we're gonna play some music, and at the count of the music, everyone hit, hit the deck. We're all gonna bow down and worship. But that's where it crossed the line for them. Um, this is not just, uh, you know, I don't like that kind of food that the company has for me um, and I'm gonna choose not to eat that and bring my own lunch, no. This is the biggest decision of their life because to worship another God goes against everything that God calls us to do. Have no other God besides me. And the reason that Israelites are in Babylon, the reason why the exile exists is because for years and generations, the Israelites bowed down to other gods. That's what God warned them about and that's what finally led them into exile. So this was a huge deal for them and they had to make a decision. And everyday choices lead us to either cave to what the world says we should do or to be brave and stick to what we feel convicted by God to do and this is what they did they stood, they stood their ground. And there's something interesting in verse seven. It says, every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And to me, this points to the future glory and, and, and kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom, because every knee, um, every knee shall bow before Jesus. We see this in Philippians chapter two, uh, verse 10. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to catch this, that Satan and his dominion likes to copy and steal from God's kingdom. So if in our future reality as believers one day, and the whole world will recognize and bow down to Jesus, then Satan's trying to get in on that action. He said, oh, let's get a bunch of people together, play some music, and have them bow down to this false god. Now, in verses 8 through 12, if you look there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're caught in the right kind of obedience. peace, Peaceful protest or what we would call civil disobedience. So they weren't uh, yelling, they weren't holding signs up, they weren't um, making a whole mess. They were quiet and they just stood, but they stood out because everyone was kneeling except for them, so they got caught. There were some people looking for a way to accuse these Israelites, these followers of Yahweh, so they dragged them before the king, said, look at these guys, look at these three guys. They are not worshiping your God, O king, They're not worshiping the statue that you have set up. And the cost of obeying God for them in that moment was ridicule, they were being chewed out. So it wasn't serious yet, but they knew that something bigger was coming. And our actions and behaviors as Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus, they should surprise people. But what I mean by that, they should surprise people in a good way. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was astonished. He was surprised. He's like, all my generals, all my people are standing up. Oh, I'm expected. I'm expecting people to obey what I say. And these three guys aren't doing it? Oh, they must have missed the memo. Let's get them up here. So uh, he was furious. And he gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Now, I don't know how nervous they were, but I think... Like the song we sing, God gives us peace in those moments in trial. God provides in those moments that he's about to do something and he chooses us to do it through. So they were pretty brave when they responded to the king. And um, when I say surprise others, I mean surprise people by how we love them. Surprise people um, by how we forgive when others have harmed us or the people we love. We should, as Christians, surprise people by how we stand for Christ in a way that's loving and kind and sacrificial. And that's what um, we're called to do. So these men were willing to sacrifice even their lives for God. In verse 15, it says, but if you don't worship it, this is King Nebuchadnezzar, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? This is arrogance, At the example of arrogance you never see. He's got his whole kingdom, he's got this statue, and um, I just believe God is setting the stage for something awesome. You know, when it's the small things, that God doesn't always show up miraculously, But in the big things, when God sets the stage for his name to be glorified, when it's an obvious, uh, obvious challenge against his glory, um, he sets things up. And this is so cool to me, because God will defend his name. And God is very known for this. You look through history, you look through the Old Testament, the New Testament. Um, This is not the first time that God is about to do something amazing to show that he is greater than all other gods. If you know the story of the exiles in Exodus and the 10 plagues, all the plagues were a miracle and they were each one to contradict a certain God of Egypt. You also could find the story, it's not very common, but the story in 1 Samuel where there's this statue of a God called Dagon. It's a Philistine statue and it's standing there and the Philistines steal the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God's presence. And they steal it, and they stick it before their, their idol, this statue. It's like, let's put this box of the, the God of the Israelites in front of it. And they go to sleep, and they wake up the next day, and their statue fell over. They're like, okay, what was there an earthquake in the night? What happened, you know? So I guess get it back up there. And uh, the next day, Ark of the Covenant still there. The statue fell and its hands and its head, symbols of its power, authority, and what it's able to do, broken, fallen, off. And God loves to do that. Um, you think of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, if you know that story, it has a theme of fire, just like we're gonna see today, um, where there's a challenge of, like, let's see who's God can light the fire of this altar. And Elijah's like, no, 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 that's not just do that, let's that's, that's pour lots and lots and lots and lots of water on it, let's dig a trench so the water just goes over the altar and fills the space like a swimming pool around the altar, and the prophets of Baal, they're crying out to their God, and Elijah's teasing them, you know, maybe he's in the bathroom, you know, maybe he's sleeping, and, uh, and what God, Yahweh, does is he sends fire from heaven, answers Elijah's prayer, burns up the sacrifice and the altar and the stones and all the water. God likes to show off. God likes to defend his name. And he's gonna do that um, in the story of Daniel, as we see here. So verse 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. That's why I think they had peace. You don't talk like that when you're fearful. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. You see, people, it is worth, it is worth it because of God's glory. It is worth it to respond in obedience to God rather than what the world says. And it points people to Jesus. So the king, he's mad. He's like, okay, you had your chance. That's fire up this puppy. Let's, um, let's get this oven cooking. So it says seven times more than normal, which basically means the hottest it can go And if you're a scientist do you like numbers, Um, some would say that it was 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. And so what happens is they bind them up, tie these three guys up, and they had their turbans and clothes and robes and all these highly flammable things on. And um, the king sends a couple soldiers in, big strong guys to carry them throw them in this furnace. And what happens is it is so hot to demonstrate how hot it was, the guys carrying them, they die from the heat. So they're dead. The three men fall into the flames. So the king's like, ha ha, that's gonna strike fear into everybody else. Here's a great example. I love having a martyr because then it's gonna show, oh, not a martyr, excuse me, roll back. I'm gonna have a great example that these people are gonna die because it's gonna strike fear into my people to obey me. Well, what happens is uh, the king checks in on the progress of his cooking and he finds that, sorry, and he finds that um, they're still in there and they're still alive. Not only that, they're walking around untied. So the things that bound them, what the world was trying to tie them up to, disappeared. But their clothes were still on and they were walking. And not only that, there was a fourth person In the fire. And to make it very clear, scripture says that King Nebuchadnezzar, he asks his officials and the people with him, he says, didn't we throw three of them in? I see a fourth. And they said, you're right, there is a fourth. And he looks like an angel, like like a son of God. And we're not sure if this is a pre-incarnate Jesus or an angel of the Lord, but we know that the Lord was with his people during their sufferings because God chooses to be with us in the fire when we're going through struggles, when we're going through trials and temptations. We are not alone in those trials and sufferings. Stephen Miller says, it is certainly true that when believers go through fiery trials, Christ is with them. The three Hebrews experienced literally the promise, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned the flames will not set you ablaze. So here's the king who had a direct challenge to God, Yahweh, our God. There's no God that can save like this. God set the stage, he upped the ante, he heated up the oven, and here God shows off by not only saving his faithful believers, followers of God, but he joins them in that trial. So this is what's amazing to me. God allows us to suffer. Because you find in other parts in Scripture that King Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace, others were thrown in, and others died and perished. God did not come to their rescue. Many times, these miracles that really happened, these things that are unbelievable and that's the point, because it points to God. They truly happened, and you look throughout history, when God shows up and does a miracle, it's to give him glory, give himself glory. It's to point people to the fact that there's only one true God, and only one God that can save like this. And this was not just a yee victory for these three people that came out. They did get promoted. The king said, hey, these are pretty good guys. I mean, if, this God is with them, that's promote them. So he gave them a promotion. You're not always gonna get that in work when you stand up for Christ. You might get fired. You might not get into college if you write what you believe on your, on your entrance um, letter, your application. Um, you might be snickered at, you might be ridiculed, you might be laughed at, you might be talked against. As a follower of Christ in this world, we will suffer. And Christ tells us that. You look in the New Testament, and that's a good thing. Why? Because it's worth it. Why? Because it points others to Jesus. It points people to the hope we have in Christ, the fact that this world is not the only world that exists, that after this world, we will be with Jesus, with God the Father forever. And you and I, we can play a part in that. God wants us maybe not to stand in front of a whole company, but maybe in a break room, maybe as we're driving in the truck with our coworker or we're swimming laps in the pool with our ladies during the week, um, to speak the name of Jesus and to not do what the world is telling us to do. You see, God, he calls us to something that is greater, not because we are great, but because he is great. He wants to make his name known by our love, not by our anger, not by our frustration. We wanna stand out in the good way. Peaceful protest. but there's consequences. We're not always gonna be rescued. Sometimes we're gonna experience the suffering. And God says, there's honor in that. There's glory in that. Even in heaven, we'll be rewarded. But what we'll do is our neighbor who sees us suffer for what we believe will consider maybe we believe something that's true. Maybe it's not just our opinion, but it's what God says. Maybe there really is a God that we can trust and rely on and put our faith in. And that's what we have the opportunity this week to do and the next week. But we have to be prepared for that. We have to believe in our hearts. We have to read the word ourselves so we know what it says and not just, oh, I heard someone say this. And we have to have a personal relationship with Jesus because Just to know about God is not enough. That won't help you get through the flames and the trials. It's not about a a detailed, rigorous, daily plan to study the Bible. No, it's it's a dialogue, it's a relationship. That's what God calls us into. If you don't have that type of relationship with God, I invite you into that. He desires that type of relationship with you. And we here at CCC, we want to Help you with that. Take your next steps with him. So in conclusion, let let me just say that obeying God is worth it even when it is costly. You know, in this story, there was a miracle. God rescued them. Maybe they just sweat a little bit because they were nervous. Um, But it's worth it to us to obey God Even if we suffer a consequence, God is glorified. We have the opportunity in those moments to testify of Jesus for the hope we have. God says, Always be prepared to give the reason for the hope you have in Christ. We can even be willing to become martyrs for the hope we have. Throughout history, it's the missionaries like Jim Elliott. That died to save a whole tribe, save them eternally because they are now followers of Christ. It can change laws and the futures of a nation. King Nebuchadnezzar changed the law and said anyone who who ridicules or makes fun of the God of these Israelites, they will be ripped apart. You look at nations that are pagan, and when the gospel came in, those nations were changed. Governments were changed. So God can use you to change things. And we can even be blessed. Sometimes God turns the tables. Instead of being um, persecuted, we're promoted. Instead of being fired, we're hired. And God has that opportunity to bless us if we're faithful. So when you came in, um, you had those next step cards those connect cards. And uh, if you want to be encouraged, if you want help on knowing what to do, what God might be calling you to do, you'll get help when you click on that, when you go online or when you mark it. Or if you need help in knowing how to be prepared to obey before the crisis comes, before that moment, um, those next steps are gonna help you, and I encourage you to do that. We are gonna enter into a time of communion, um, we're gonna have the band play, and I encourage you to come up and grab the elements and go back to your seats, because Tanya is gonna lead us in time of communion together. So what we're gonna do is everyone in this section is gonna come up this aisle and head to your left and go back and return to your seats that way, and everyone in this section will come up, grab the elements, and return by the side aisle there. So let's join together, gather the communion elements, Sing, and then we'll share communion together with Tanya.